It's sort of like the Virginia Woolf quote, anonymous was a woman. Her name was Alice Foley. Emily Warren Roebling. Nella Larson. Yu Guansun. Mary Outerbridge. The New York Times has been writing new obituaries for great women whose deaths were never really widely acknowledged. I think of her as someone who constantly questioned to what extent should other people's expectations determine who we are. She was definitely a pioneer of the sport in the U.S. Her care model and her initiative and activism in this greatly predates a lot of AIDS awareness and activism in this country. She didn't really get credit for the work that she did, and she certainly didn't receive an obit. I'm honored to be able to tell her story. It's called The Overlooked Project, and we've been bringing you some of the stories about those women over the past few weeks. To hear them, along with your nominations, log on to our website at thetakeaway.org overlooked. Well, today... A story about the power of a young person, a teenager who rose up and pushed for change. Sound familiar? Well, we're not talking about 2018. No, we're going back almost 100 years to a teen hero from 1919, Yu Guan Sun. She was a young fighter for Korean independence. So Yu Guan Sun was a teenage girl who was growing up in occupied Korea at the beginning of the 20th century. She was born in 1902, and Korea was annexed by Japan a few years later. So she would have been too young to remember a free Korea. And she died decades before the country was liberated in 1945 at the end of World War II. That's In Young Kang there, editor at the news desk at the New York Times and author of the new obituary for Yu Guan Sun. And Kang says, while Yu Guan Sun may have been overlooked by the Times, she's a beloved symbol in South Korea. She is a public figure, I would say, maybe along the lines of Susan B. Anthony, someone who fought for her rights, her country. I asked about Yu Guan-sun's short life and lasting legacy. She was a high school student, and she took part in these independence marches in Seoul. And for this, she was arrested, imprisoned, and tortured, and she ended up dying in prison. What about her accomplishments? What exactly did she do? She was best known for being part of the March 1st Independence Movement, which is a national holiday in Korea. And this was the first large-scale protest against Japanese colonial rule. So she took part in the main protest in Seoul, which is the capital. And then later she went to her home province in South Chungcheong. And she went from village to village on foot, spreading word of what had happened and encouraging villagers to take part in their own protests. And she paid a huge price for that. What happened once she was in her home village encouraging all these villagers to take part in this protest? So she organized a rally in her hometown and about 3,000 people showed up on April 1st, 1919 chanting, calling for independence, and the Japanese authorities showed up, and they fired on the crowd, killing 19 people, including her parents. Her parents died, too. And then from that moment, she was immediately arrested? She was arrested then, yes. How long did she live after she was arrested? How much time transpired? Not much longer than a year. So she died September 28, 1920. And when she died, I, I read the obituary that you wrote. She writes something. She scribbles something on the wall. What does she write? She wrote, even if my fingernails are torn out, my nose and ears are ripped apart, and my legs and arms are crushed, this physical pain does not compare to the pain of losing my nation. She also wrote, Japan will fall. And it turned out to be true 20 years later, but she didn't live to see it. Can you talk about how she's inspired people? I guess what's interesting to me about this century in Korean history is so much happened in such a short period of time. You know, it was occupied by Japan, the World War happened, the Korean War happened. And then for almost three decades after that, the country was under a series of military dictatorships. And so 
I think there's always been that undercurrent of you you fight for what you believe to be right for democracy, for freedom. I think it is just one example of someone who believed in something so strongly that she was willing to fight for it, to die for it, to spread word of it. That's kind of, it's not specific to a country or a time period. It's kind of a universal feeling. And how did you hear about her? How did she take up such an important role in your mind that you go and visit the museum dedicated to her in South Korea? You know, I can't pinpoint exactly when I first heard about her. I think growing up, my parents, who were both born in Korea, they learned about her in school, and she's pretty well known, I think, there. And so I'd heard the name at some point, but I remember, I think I might have been in middle school or something, we were visiting family in Seoul, this was end of February, early March, and I saw these Korean flags out, you know, on the street, and I was like, oh, you know, what's that for? And my mom goes, oh, that's, that's for the March 1st holiday which is the movement that she's known for. In Korean, it's Hamil, which means 3-1 or March 1st. That was the date of the, the main march in Seoul in 1919. It was the first major demonstration against Japanese colonial rule. We know that she left some writing, mm-hmm. and we know that she fought. Do we know anything else about her relatives? So her father, she was born to Christian parents, and so I think her father taught her a lot about Christianity. And also, they have... There's a strong sort of Confucian tradition in which they value nationalism, patriotism, knowing about one's people, and civic awareness in general. And so she learned a lot from her family. She was influenced by her family. But over the course of three generations, nine people in total from the Yu family were involved in the independence movement. So this was in her blood. And now, why should the world recognize this young woman? Why is it so important that her life her story, her passion, and her death be remembered. So I went to grad school for French history, actually, and there was this concept that I came across when I was reading. It's called Alltagsgeschichte, which is a German theory of historiography. It looks at the experiences of ordinary people who can often become extraordinary. Alltag means everyday life, and so the idea is by looking at everyday experiences of you know your average normal person, in society, it can help her understanding of larger sociopolitical issues. So it's a form of microhistory, and I, I'm honored to be able to tell her story. And honestly, I think part of the difficulty in writing this piece was that there is so little English language material out there on her. And so when I went to the museum, you know, they were speaking to me in Korean. All their materials were in Korean, and I'm not fluent, and so I had a translator help me with that. But I think in general, it's an accessibility issue. So I hope... There's more writing about her. In Young Kang is an editor on the news desk at the New York Times. Find her new obituary for Korean independence activist Yu Guan Soon at nytimes.com slash overlooked.